Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to verse 30. It reads, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that had come from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal, thy, heal yourself. And you, tell, and you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what you have, we have heard that you did in Capernaum. <clears throat> Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the, in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogues were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. There are a number of uh, reasons why people read the Bible, why they think the Bible is important in the, in, in the life of a person, not just a Christian. Others see it as a kind of a guidebook 
or a GPS uh, to somewhere? Is it sort of a guide for life, as it were? It's known as a good book to them. But when you think about GPSs and about guides, those of us who have grown up with, with guidebooks, is that once you get your destination, you throw away the map, don't you? The map says not much about the destination, but it says a lot about the... It doesn't say about where you're going, but it tells you about the journey to where you're going. It is only as useful until you get there. Just as the GPS is. GPS is only as useful to the extent that it, it takes you to the airport, if you need to get to the airport. Others treat the Bible in this way, that this is a guidebook. It is to help you to get you from point A to point B. Others think of the Bible as uh, sort of this medicine for the soul, similar to the guide. That you take it when you need something, it speaks to your heart, you open the Bible and God speaks to you, to your word, it comforts you. You are consoled in your loneliness, perhaps, in your, uh, in your excitement, you are reminded that God is, uh, exists and is above. But the interesting thing about medication is that we only take it when we think we are sick, when we think we need it. Others think that the Bible is a solution book for life's biggest questions. Solution book to life's biggest conundrums. That there somehow you find them unraveled if you truly understand the Bible. It will have the answers to your biggest question. But if you think of people, there are as many questions about life as there are people. In the world. Therefore, will everyone use it to find what they want, to find what suits them, what answers their particular questions and or concerns? Others see the Bible as this Christian solution to happiness, prosperity, and the good life. That in order to find true happiness, find prosperity, to live the good life. You need to follow these principles that are found in this book. But you've seen, we live in a world where people find happiness, prosperity, and the good life, at least as you see it, in a number of ways. So therefore, this puts the Bible on par with all the other different ways that people live, all the other books that have given people this prosperity, happiness, and the good life. With this series that we've been doing on the meaning of the Bible and what the Bible says, we've been trying to show that the Bible actually tells a story. It tells a story of humanity and their uh, removal from God and God's pursuit of them. It is not just a random accounts, uh, a collection of accounts that are different accounts that you can use however you want. But the Bible has a message. And then that message is 
humanity has fallen, God desires to have a relationship with humanity. And he makes a way for them to have that relationship and deals with their fallenness. I've been trying to show us from Genesis, I think we begin at chapter 12, to uh, Ezekiel 36 last time. In Genesis 12, as God uh, said he was going to deal with the problem of humanity through blessing this one person, Abraham, and you see the mess that came with Israel, because sin was not done away with, it was still there among the people of God. And then you saw in chapter 36 last time that God was going to have to not only deal with rebellion, but he's going to have to deal with, with hearts that are inclined to rebellion. That he has to change the person in order for that person to desire to be with him. So this morning, we are looking at another part of that, and indeed an important aspect of that, is that God fulfills what he is going to do. His promise to change hearts, this, uh, this, this creation of a humanity uh, who is going to be a light for the nations, which, was, which is what Israel was meant to be. This restoration of God's people to God's place. This bringing into relationship with himself of humanity. He fulfills that through Jesus. We have looked at what has been alluded to. Uh, we have looked at allusions to Christ. Therefore pointing forward to Christ in what you have seen so far. That he is the one who is going to be the good shepherd. That he is the one from whom God is going to bless uh, the nations. Not uh, Abraham. Because we saw that he himself was not perfect. We, saw, we, we, were, look, we were looking forward last time. Saying that he is the one through this new birth, being born again of the water and the spirit, that people are going to be able to enjoy a relationship with God. But now as we get to the book of Luke, it becomes more explicit than that. It becomes more explicit than just, we need to find someone better than Abraham. It becomes explicit as God shows us that he is going to do this through his son, Jesus Christ. That the instrument of his salvation for humanity is his son, Jesus Christ. Let's look together at uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 14 to 7. He is going to do this by bringing his son into the world to teach people to come to him. So God is going to redeem humanity God is going to uh, bring people to himself by, by having his son tell us that it is only through him, only through Jesus, the son of God, 
but you are able to have a relationship with him. Look at what Jesus is doing in chapter 4, uh, verses 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, and he read from there. What you see with Jesus here, he is back in Nazareth in chapter 4, where he had grown up. His family is from there. Uh, he was kicked out when, when he was young, but he came back home at a later stage in life. He had been all over uh, Israel. Here we are told he had been uh, around Capernaum, which is more uh, north, teaching and healing people. And on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest for the Israelites, when people would, 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 uh, would use that day to contemplate God and what he did for them, to remember their own rescue from God. People of Israel, those who were near Jerusalem, would go to the temple on the day uh, of the Sabbath to worship and to do ceremonial things that the Israelites did each week to confess their sins as we have confessed our sins now. But not everyone could go there. So the Israelites, what they did is that they created these sort of mini temples throughout the nation of Israel. These houses of worship where people could go in and worship God there together. The scripture would be read and someone would explain it in a similar way as, as has happened this morning. But at that temple, <coughs> at that synagogue, Jesus begins to teach his people. He begins to tell them who he is and what he has come to do in the world. And what he tells them in verses 18 to 21 is that freedom has come. Liberation has come. The year of the Lord's favor has come and it has come through him. Look with me to verses 18 to 21. He begins to read this scroll. In Isaiah chapter 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, he has chosen me, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. These words that we're seeing in this passage, in verses 18 to 21, they come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. 
And Isaiah chapter 51 refers back to Leviticus 25, by the way, when it speaks about the year of, uh, the year of Jubilee, for the year of the Lord's favor, in your translations there, in verses 19 of the passage. In that 50th year, the 50th year, if someone had had to sell their land uh, to someone out of debt for family or out of desperation, on that 50th year, the land was, was given back to the family. If Israelites had slaves among them who had been, uh, who had been forced to, to give their services, if perhaps you couldn't pay your debts or whatever, those slaves were freed in the 50th year. If you owed your neighbor money, or you were owed money, on the 50th year, all debts were cancelled. That this year was the beginning of the clean slate, as it were. Everything was undone. You can imagine the mistakes of a generation. If your mother and father, perhaps, if they've been irresponsible with the family's resources, were undone. Now the family could go back to the land that, we, that had been sold or had to be given up because of insolvency. This was called the, uh, the year of the Lord's favor. That the grace of God was seen in this generous national forgiveness year. And Isaiah here uses a word such as prisoners, the oppressed and the poor, to say that this is what Christ has come to do. He has come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has been sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free. Imagine what, what would be happening on the year of Jubilee. Of course the poor would be happy because they would be able to get their land back. Of course the slaves would be happy because now they will be set free. This is a year of joy. This will be a year of jubilation. But it also has a reference here. To the fact that the, uh, the, 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 the Israelites, uh, before this, had actually been in exile. They had been punished by God during the book of Ezekiel, which you saw last time. Uh, it was written to them uh, about an account that while they were in exile, God is going to rescue them. This also refers to that. But they are also in a land that is, that is occupied at this moment by the Romans. They are not completely free. They are now political uh, colonization, as it were. What we also see in the immediate context of, of Luke, that this is not just um, spiritual, but it's also uh, material. It's also political. 
What you saw, in, for instance, in verses, uh, in, in the chapters before, that Jesus had just defeated Satan. And after this, he is about to just perform an exorcism and a healing. Suggesting that the rescue described in verses 18 to 19 is also from Satan. But what you know about the nation at this moment is that they are not just spiritually poor, they are not just spiritually oppressed. They are living under real oppression under the Roman Empire. There are people who are really starving, who are oppressed, who are vulnerable. It's also important to note that the quotation in verses uh, that Jesus uh, that, that reads from here in Isaiah 61, he ends just before the passage goes, goes on to speak about the judgment for the nations. Meaning that even just before it speaks about the fact that God is going to judge those who are oppressing the people of God. He comes to them. He reads this passage that refers to this year of jubilee, this year of, uh, of joy. And he turns to him and he says, On this day, Today, verse 21, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To mean that that which had been promised to the people of Israel has now come. That day that he had been waiting for, the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom, has now come. You would be Foolish, therefore, to not be happy at uh, hearing this. If someone comes and you're under the Roman Empire and you're also struggling financially, you're under political oppression, of course you'd be happy. Which is why we see in verse 22 that they are, they, they are rejoicing. Verse 22 says, All spoke well of him, and we are amazed the gracious words that came from his lips. These words to them were gracious. They were getting what they do not deserve from God, which is what grace is. These words were the welcome relief to them. That finally, someone has come who cares about our welfare. But they also knew, as the Israelites, that this was looking to, to the Messiah. That passage was looking forward to the, uh, the, the, the promised king who would come under uh, an heir of David. Which is why they say to themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? Surely he can't be. We know his father. Joseph. And Jesus responds to them. He says, Surely you quote this proverb to me, physician, heal thyself. And you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what you have what you have heard you did 
in Capernaum. In Capernaum, he had exercised uh, demons, he had healed. So they're saying here, what you did there, at liberating that poor soul, do it for yourself, free yourself here. Do what you did here. So, uh, in other words, that if you come here and you say that the freedom has come, first liberate yourself, because you are oppressed as much as we are, the implication of that text says. We see that joy slowly turning into uh, skepticism, beginning with, isn't this Joseph's son? If he says he has come to proclaim freedom, why doesn't he free himself? But Jesus turns and he says, I have not come for you. He turns and he proclaims judgment on them. This is 24, he says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he compares himself to uh, Elijah, who was aware that there was famine throughout the land. But Elijah was not sent to the Israelites. He was sent to a widow in the foreign land of Zarephath. He also compares it to this situation with the prophet Elisha, which uh, comes in the book of 2 Kings 5, by the way. The first one is Elijah, comes from 2 Kings, 1 Kings 17, who was concerned not with the cleansing of Israel, but with the cleansing of a Syrian, a neighbor who was their enemy at this time. And all the people of the synagogue heard this. To say that freedom has come, but this freedom is not for you, obviously made them furious. So all the people in the synagogue were furious, verse 28. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to a bro on the hill, wanting to kill him. Wanting to, to throw him off a cliff. But we're not told how Jesus miraculously survives this. So on the one hand, you have Christ who has come and is proclaiming freedom for the captives. He's proclaiming liberation. On the other hand, you have people who are rejecting him. You have people who are infuriated by what he says. Who are not turning to him in desperation, pleading for salvation. But respond in skepticism and anger at their own judgment. So basically what you're seeing here is a continuation of what we've seen throughout the Bible. Of the people of God who had been chosen by him. Who hear the good news. 
that they are the apple of God's eyes and that they should turn to him in faith. But what do they do? They want to get rid of the messenger. They don't want to hear it. They want to get the benefits of being in the relationship with God without committing to him. Which means that the same thing that Jesus or God said he had to be done with the Israelites of them being given a new heart is also needed with the people of the New Testament who are hearing the good news of the gospel but are responding to it it with skepticism and with rejection and are condemned because of it. This is why Christ would later say that no one comes to the Father except through me. And it is God who has to draw the people. Which is why later on he would say, new birth is needed. This is why later he, he would speak about the fact that even, the, even the, the, those who would follow him, the apostles, need their eyes opened that they may see him for who he is. So what you've seen, therefore, in this passage is that the Old Testament, those promises made in the Old Testament in Isaiah 61, were pointing to Christ. And what you're saying with Israel, whether it's Israel of the Old Testament or of Israel in the New Testament, is that they, all, they, 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 are, they are all sinful. That they are in need of salvation. And they all point to uh, the condition of humanity. They see here an encouragement to take the freedom that is offered by Christ seriously. To pray that God would soften our hearts that we may receive what is being offered here and not reject it as it was rejected by these people. If you do not take this freedom, as we say here, it will be offered to others. This is a call here to receive this Christ and do not turn away from him. Let us pray and ask God to, to help us with that. Heavenly Father, I pray that indeed you would help us as your church, as your people to, uh, to receive you. I pray that we would receive this good news not in the same way that the Israelites did here, but we would receive them with joy that we would run to you. We who are still in darkness, and have now been called to this light. I pray, Lord, that this would give us hope that if the good news could be received by us who were far from you, who were skeptical as the Israelites were, 
that you are able to do the work, Lord, that calls us, that has called us to faith, that that same work is able to call others to faith in you as well. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.